And you can see the title, Why is the World Broken? I started preparing on Monday morning. I uh, had the title in my head, Why is the World Broken? And I went for a, a walk down at, uh, at Coogee Beach. Uh, just to have a, a walk and a think, clear the cobwebs from a long weekend and think out this new title, Why is the World Broken? And down there, the sun was just absolutely beautiful. It was a warm day. It was a warm morning. It wasn't hot. It wasn't cold. It was just warm. It was just right, actually. And the sea was just deep, beautiful blue and, and calm, as Coogee can be sometimes. And look out to the Wedding Cake Island out there, if you know the Coogee area, and the, and the, the surf was rolling across the little island, shimmering with white foam and and up the sky, there was not a cloud in the whole of our sky, and it was just, a, it was a magnificent light blue that, that imaged off the dark blue of the sea, and, and the grass, the grass was green, you know, because we've, in our parks, there's several parks I walked around out there at the headland, and the grass was green because we've had such good rain over this, uh, summer and autumn period, and, The streets were clean, (coughs) which is uh, one of the areas people keep the streets clean. (coughs) In fact, even the doggy litter is picked up down in that area, and little bags there for people who take their dogs and great fines if they don't pick up what they should be. And there were lots of people down there enjoying themselves on a Monday morning. Uh, Clearly, we're not back at work yet because they were jumping and swimming and walking and smiling and laughing and sitting by themselves and uh, just meditating and enjoying the beautiful day and some of them in little groups talking with each other. And I kept thinking about the title of today's talk, Why the World is Broken, and I kept asking, is it? What's broken about this? This was, it just looked like paradise. It just looked like the way the world has been made by God to be. It was, there was nothing I could complain about that was there. It was picture perfect. It was aesthetically attractive and appealing and, and it even had humans had control over what they were doing. It was orderly and organized and is the world broken? When I got home, I, I sat down and I read the papers and page after page and article after article, story after story reminded me of just how broken the world really is. I mean, Sydney on a warm autumn Monday morning, it is, lives in, we live in a little bubble that's all just our own. And we're not in contact with the real world and the reality of most people's lives around the world. So spend a little time with me and we'll think through how and where is the world broken. Now, the most obvious place, of course, is in the pandemic, where in this last year over three million people have died. Not just died, but they've died a really ugly, dreadful, painful, awful death, a lonely death. And the numbers are still growing, especially in poor countries and especially amongst poor people in poor countries. It's growing apace. It's it's getting worse now than it has been for the whole period in countries like India and Brazil and Argentina and Colombia and Peru. You go to a poor country, you look at the poor people, COVID is, is wreaking havoc 
I just heard this morning on the news that uh, in, uh, uh, in India, in Delhi, uh, they've run out of oxygen in one of the hospitals and people were dying just for lack of the oxygen. Which, of course, we have loads of it, the world has loads of it, but we haven't been able to get it to, to there. See, what seems really broken about our world is the distribution of the vaccine. <laughs> India is so desperate that though it's one of the greatest producers of the vaccine in the world, it's now not going to send the vaccine to the countries they promised to send it to in Africa. In other words, the, the, the poverty which has led to such disease in India is now going to spread across to the African countries that are not going to get the vaccine because of the poverty in India. And all the time the rich countries are not willing to waive the patents and allow the poor countries to produce the vaccine that is needed because the rich countries want to make the profits from the... because we're part of the rich countries. It, it's awful. It really is awful. But, but enough of the disease. We've been talking about COVID for the last 12 months, haven't we? There's good news. We're withdrawing from, from Afghanistan. Well, good news for some of us. We're pulling out of the longest war we've ever had in Afghanistan. But, but what about wars in the rest of the world? Uh, here's a map from Wikipedia that we can have there. And that's a map of the wars in the world in 2020. That's every country that's got out there, someone has been killed in a war during that year. Yeah, that's pretty awful, isn't it? The darker the colour, the more people were killed. And, and so in Afghanistan, 20,000 were killed that year. In Yemen, 19,000 were killed. And some of those wars, they've been going for 10, 20, 30 and more years. They've been at war. All of your lifetime, you would have been at war in those countries. And millions have been killed. A couple of million in Afghanistan, a, a half a million in Somalia, uh, well over a million in Iraq were killed when, when the, the, uh, uh, the, the Muslim extremists took charge there. A half a million killed in Syria. It, it just goes on and on, the list of country after country where people are dying in large numbers because of war. Uh, you don't have to go to war. <laughs> Mexico is not at war particularly. Well, it is. It's at war with drug barons. 151,000 people have been murdered in Mexico because of the drug fights that are there. Hey, but when you're walking on Kuji Beach, nothing could be further from your mind. You know, war? What war? You know, we're down on the right-hand side of that country that's so colourless you can't see. I mean, the only thing more colourless than us is across the ditch over in New Zealand. We can't even see it's there on that map. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's nowhere. So, war doesn't happen here, does it? Pandemics, well, we have it, but <laughs> we don't have it, do we? I mean, it doesn't happen in Australia. It has happened. 
My grandfather died of a pandemic, the last great pandemic in 1917, about 100 years or so ago. He, he died of that flu, as did his brother. My mother, my grandmother, you know, poor with lots of kids and there were no widow's pensions in those days, so she did what women do in those situations. She married another man, had some more kids, but he, he was murdered, the second husband. He was shot in Eddy Avenue in Central Railway. You see, my family knows of deaths in pandemics and in, and in, uh, a murder. Two of my friends who taught in Sunday school with me when I, they were killed because of Vietnam. We have known war, we have known deaths through pandemics, we have known, it, it does take, but not now, not now, we're not there now, are we? We don't have war on our doorstep and we don't have civil war breaking up our families and our neighbours and we live in peace, we live in prosperity in this country unbounded it would seem. Everybody's better than their grandparents. You know, you think about your grandparents' life, you have more money, more access, more freedoms than, than they did. It's, they, they didn't have television, they didn't have uh, washing machines, they didn't have refrigerators. I mean, the house I grew up in didn't have those things, so I can assure you my grandparents didn't. I mean, they lived a much poorer life than we did and everybody can look back two generations and say, yeah, we're better off. This is a country of great prosperity and peace and calm. Although, when there is any threat to our prosperity and safety, our real neighbourly love quickly goes out the window. Our love and affection for others goes. I mean, do you remember recently the toilet paper wars? <laughs> Uh, as soon as there was a risk of me not getting mine, I had to go and get, I had to get plenty, didn't I? There was always enough toilet paper available. But when people are greedy, there's not enough available on the shelves. And we were greedy as a suburb, as a city, as a nation. We were the laughing stock of the world at that point. Of course, it's happened everywhere else now. So I got to thinking some more and I turned from journalists and Wikipedia that you can't trust and looked up some official government statistics which at least is more trustworthy. And I, I looked to find about violence in Australia and so where do you look? I looked at the apprehended violence orders. Now there they are and you'll notice the graph is growing every year. Not hugely, but steadily, it's growing. So last year, I think it's the last year we're talking about, no, it was 2020 <coughs> is that figure, there were 33,000 domestic orders, that was last year, and then another 4,000 non-domestic orders taken out. That's 37,000 violence orders were taken out in New South Wales, not Australia, just in New South Wales. And... And friends, numbers are numbers, but remember behind every number, there are people. There are at least two people in conflict with each other to such an extent that they've got to go to the courts, they've got to go to the police to protect themselves, who feel, maybe unjustly, but who feel such fear that they, they need the protection of, their, of the courts to be able to live. 
And it's not just ones and twos, it's families that are involved in this, aren't they? And it's a growing problem within our society. All the papers are full of sexual harassment, especially women, and so I went to the Australian government report there, and there we see one in six women experience domestic and physical sexual violence over a period of time it was. One in 16 men in their lifetime will experience domestic, physical and sexual violence. That is, in a lifetime, over two million people will have experienced physical, domestic, sexual violence. There's only 25 million of us in the world, in Australia. In Australia. So that's, what is it, 10%, just under 10%, 8-9% of people will experience that. When you turn the second row, talks about uh, experiencing emotional abuse. Well, of course, the numbers go up once you start doing that. <coughs> one in four women will feel that. One in six men will feel that. That's over three and a half million people will have that kind of emotional abuse. And and then the bottom line just talks about just general domestic, non-domestic sexual violence. And again, the numbers go up still further with two million there. Of course, some people, they fit into all three categories, don't they? So you can't just add them up. But there's a lot of problems out there in a lot of families, a lot of people. Or you look at the suicide statistics, which actually haven't changed much over the years. They're always depressing, as you see. There are about 3,000 deaths by suicide every year in Australia. That is, there are nine people every day in Australia, who take their lives. And it's always painful. It's always, it always hurts everybody else who's left behind. It's one of the most selfish things to ever do is take suicide because of the pain it, re- it gives to everybody else. They think they're actually helping everybody else because they're such a burden, but it's never, it never helps anybody. It's always painful. It affects families, it affects communities, it affects friends. They... Suicide's an awful thing to do. But it's the leading cause of death for people between the ages of 15 and 49. Men are three times more likely than women to suicide, but women are twice as likely to self-harm as men, but they don't suicide because they're not as good at killing themselves, basically. And you say, well, I've just started looking at violence in Australia. I haven't touched on the returned service personnel and their trauma and suicide and their post-traumatic stress difficulties. I haven't touched on the black deaths that are happening in our custody at the moment. I haven't touched on uh, the social media abuse that you have. I mean, I could have spent the rest of the week just looking up statistics, couldn't I? Because the violence in Australia is awful. But I personally still feel safe from it because I, I, I feel protected in my family bubble. I feel like it's other people, other Australians, it's not us. But domestic violence is really in the family. The family protection is dissolving and the family patterns of Australia are changing and actually falling apart. More than one woman is murdered every week in Australia in domestic violence. I mean, that's, that's appalling. I've forgotten the figure, it's 70 or 80, but it's more than one a week is being murdered by an intimate partner. 
Of course, murder is the end point. Behind that murder lies all the other things that have happened, isn't it? The physical, mental, verbal abuse, the economic abuse, the the beating, the rape, the threatening, the desertion, all those things happen before you reach the murder one. And so how many women are going through what agony in which homes across our land? Mind you, men, men are three times more likely to be murdered than women are. It's just that men aren't murdered by their family. Men are murdered not by strangers but by friends and enemies presumably, people outside the family. Look at children, Uh, children in protection. I found the statistics for the year 2018-19, the one year. Over 70,000, 70,000 children are in protective care orders. Another 97,000 cases were investigated and were open to looking further into the issue. On average, one child in every school class is living in protected care. Now, one of the law firms working in the area says the number of children in foster care has nearly doubled in the last 10 years. So the family bubble is breaking open. The number of divorces, the rate of divorce is rising. It's hidden by the decline in the number of people who are bothering getting married anymore. The Bible calls divorce violence. Because it is violence. It often comes because of violence. But it does violence to people and to families always. And so the brokenness comes into our homes. And not into our homes, but into our own personal bubble. Because when we look at the brokenness of the world, we keep swinging from being happy and content with ourselves to being frustrated and depressed and disappointed and critical of ourselves. <laughs> my, my trip from Coogee Beach to reading the newspapers is in a sense, how do I feel about myself? <laughs> sometimes I feel I'm Coogee Beach and sometimes I know I'm not. <laughs> What are we really like? What are you like? What am I like, really? Let me remind you of our earlier reading where Jesus told us what we are really like. It occurs in Mark 7. Jesus said, for from within, I think we'll put it up on the screen if we can, for from within, out of people's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride and foolishness. All these evils come from within and defile a person. I'm not defiled by things that come from outside into me. I'm defiled by what is already inside myself. I defy the world rather than the world defiling me. See, nobody forces me to envy. Nobody ever forces me to slander. Nobody has ever required me to be proud or to be foolish. I can manage those all by myself. And I do manage them all by myself. They're all in my heart. They're my choice. They're my character. 
It's not just mine. It's Joe's. And it's David's. And it's Adam's. Because it's all of us, isn't it? We're all like this. All of us have within us evil thoughts. All of us within us have those times of envy and those and the times of pride and the self-indulgence and the lies. Let me just do a quick test to make sure you're all with me on this and understand what I'm saying and we can actually face the mirror for a moment or two. Let's pick up on deceits. I mean, I could talk to you about envy, I could talk to you about pride, we'll just pick deceits and lies. A bit of show of hands for a moment here, a bit of exercise for us. Are you ready? Hands up if you think telling lies is wrong. It's a wrong thing to do. I can't see, so many I can't see. Put it the other way then. Hands up anybody who thinks telling a lie is a good, right thing to do. Good, because if you did, I wouldn't believe you now because you believe it's the right thing to do, wouldn't you? So, okay, we all agree telling lies is wrong. Okay, hands up anybody here who has ever told one. Well, there we go. Again, just to make sure, hands up anybody who's never told one because put your hand up now and you can tell your first one. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) So that's for today. See, we all think it is wrong and immoral to tell lies. We all hate people telling us lies. But we all tell lies. I've come to church with a whole bunch of immoral liars. So have you. Here we are. That's a mirror that we don't want to look in, isn't it? But that's the mirror Jesus holds up to us. That's what he says about our hearts. We're all immoral and it's our own fault. And when you have a society that is built upon people whose character is that of lies and greed and envy and slander and theft and murder, no wonder the society's a bit broken. No wonder the world has major problems. I think we're coming to the time of filling in tax returns, aren't we? (laughs) We employ a whole army of people in the government to check on tax returns because people cheat, people lie, people steal, don't they? We wouldn't have to. If there weren't people like that, if we as people were not like that, you wouldn't need all those tax uh, government agents, would you? They've got real problems I read in the paper yesterday because previously you had morning tea at work provided by the boss but now you've been working at home, you've provided your own morning tea and so people are now claiming their, their Tim Tams and their, and their other... And so the tax man's out looking for who's claiming for providing their own morning teas at home. There's a Tim Tam tax that they're concerned about that people are claiming. I mean, how absurd does our society get? We employ a whole army of people to check on tax and at the same time we employ another whole army of people to to help people to minimise their tax, avoid their tax, whether it's illegal. But what a waste of effort. Our community is wasting effort, labour and resources because our community is full of greed and envy and self-indulgence and theft. See, Jesus has understood the human condition. He's captured us in that little verse or so. 
But anyway, the question of this morning is not, is the world broken? Or how and where is it broken? But why is it broken? What is the explanation for the brokenness of the human life, of the human condition of the human society and the world? There's lots of explanations that people give. I'm going to give you three quick ones. There are many others, but they're just wrong. One explanation is denial. The continued unsupported nonsense about the fundamental goodness of human nature. I have faith in the human nature. Well, you have faith in something really immoral and corrupt, and that's very stupid. There's no point having faith in the goodness of human nature. In fact, you don't. Did you lock your car? Did you lock your house? You have faith in the fact that our society is made up of thieves. If you really had faith in human nature, your car would be out there unlocked, wouldn't it? Your door at home would be unlocked. You wouldn't have to worry about anybody stealing anything, would you? But you don't. Belief in the goodness of human nature. (laughs) It's a nonsense. There's nothing wrong with people, they say. It's just the system. It's it's, it's the education department. It's It's the culture. It's the institutions. This explanation is a real nonsense. Have you ever heard parents teaching their children, now, don't share your toys, Johnny. Uh, make sure you eat the last piece of cake, Lizzie. Uh, tell, tell the lies so as to protect yourself, Freddie. Have you ever heard parents teaching that? Of course not. We all work hard to teach our children not to be self-centered, not to be greedy, not to be liars. Why do we have to teach our children that? Where did they learn to be like that? If they're learning everything from us, it's because it's in the human nature. That's why. It's it's not imposed upon them from outside. It comes from within, says Jesus. (laughs) One of my children, who's the godmother of one of Joe's children, he chose her as godmother. One of my children's first full sentence was a lie. Up until then, she'd said a word or two, mum, dad, you know, but now she told the whole sentence and it was a lie. As she stood in the lounge room, she held a broken aerial in her two hands, ripped apart, and she spoke of her brother who had been at school all day and said, Matthew did it. It was her first full sentence. Most people record the first word of their children. We recorded the first sentence. Matthew did it. Who taught her to lie like that? Her mother. Clearly. You know. <laughs> Maybe Matthew did. I mean, where does a little tot who hasn't got any sentences know to avoid punishment by telling lies? It comes from the human heart. Another explanation which is silly is fatalism. Look, they say, it's just the way the world is. These things are not right, they're not wrong, they're not good, they're not bad. It's just the way of life in the jungle. They're the survival techniques. It's the survival of the fittest. You've just got to do these things to get ahead in life. Really? Do we want to say that there's no difference between humans and animals? There's no morality, there's no justice, there's no love, no truth. There's just animal appetites that need to be satisfied? Can we really believe that murder, rape, 
theft, pedophilia. It's just the way the world is. It's just the survival of the fittest. I'm sorry. That's obscene, that idea, isn't it? Then there's the explanation. I've called it tribalism on our notes there. Point C, 3C, tribalism. It's not my fault. And certainly not our fault. It's them out there. It's the other person. It's the other crowd. The woke inner city latte drinking elitists. It's their fault. Or if you're one of them, the boring family oriented suburbanites. It's their fault. It's, it's the power people. It's the system. It's the government. It's ScoMo's fault. It's always somebody else, isn't it? It's not... Trouble with elections is politicians always win. When we change government, we just change. But we don't actually change anything, do we? One group's just like another. Nothing actually improves. Nothing actually changes. History teaches us over and again, how easy it is to rouse a revolution, to remove a government, to remove a ruling class, only to replace it with another. It's not impossible to create a better government or to rule any better than the previous one, especially if it's the revolutionaries who are doing it. See, I want you to look and take seriously then the Bible's explanation. For it makes more sense of the world than any of the alternatives. Look at the verse printed at the top of the sheet there, under the heading, you see. It comes from our first reading from Isaiah. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way. Notice two things about it. Firstly, it's not some of us, but all of us. It's not just that our hearts are defiled and evil, but we are all like that. That's why I could do my experiment on lying and know that I was going to be successful. Because the Bible says we all tell lies. We all know it's wrong, but we all do it. Now, I pick lies, but hey, we could try envy, we could try jealousy, we could try evil thoughts, we could try theft. I mean, it all is the same. Self-indulgence. Secondly, we've all turned away to our own way. We all went astray like sheep. We've all turned to our own way. What does that mean? What have we turned away from? I mean, I can see what it's saying. We've turned to ourself to run our own life our own way. But what's the alternative we've turned away from to turn to self? What have we rejected? And here's the Bible's great explanation of why the world is broken, we've all turned away from God, the Creator. The one who has made the beautiful world, the one who has made the magnificent creature called humans. We are magnificent. You know, artificial intelligence is very impressive, but not really as impressive as real intelligence. And we've all got that in our own head. God has made magnificent human creatures. and But we've turned away from our Maker. We all turned away from God and his way of living to choose our own way of living, to suit ourselves. Here's the great lie that is built into the foundation of society that God is not the ruler of my life. I am the boss of me. 
you know, like my son, he went to a drugs campaign once and he came back with a, a, a sticker that he put on his door. He's a little boy at the time. He's nigh on 50 now, but he put a little sticker on the door and it really irritated me because it was right on the door where leading to our dining room and you know the stickers you don't want to, are the ones you can't remove? Uh, that that sticker is the house most likely falling down, but that sticker will still be on a door somewhere. It just we could never remove that sticker, and it was a good sticker, but it was a stupid sticker because it's a little boy standing there saying, "I am the boss of me." It's actually irrational and stupid. It was given in an anti-drugs campaign. You got to say, "I am the boss of me." Well. What happens if the little boy wants to take drugs? Don't you tell me not to. I'm the boss of me. That's, ir- that's irrational. That's stupid. That's the exact reverse that you want to. I am not the boss of me. God is the boss of me. As long as I think I am the boss of me, I'm living a lie. And as long as I think I am the boss of me, I cannot help but be selfish. I cannot help but be self-centered. I am God. It might be a little world I'm God of, but it's me. And if I'm the boss of me and you're the boss of you, guess who's going to win? But the strong and the powerful and the mighty. And the conflict is the way to win. And society is broken by this turning away from God to turning to self. To do the Frankie Sinatra favourite karaoke song of the generation. I did it my way. (laughs) I'm sorry, you can't build a society on a lie. The brokenness of the world is not just out there, overseas, down in Canberra. It's here, at my work, in my home, with my teenage children and now grandchildren and in our marriage, it's here in my heart. That's where the brokenness of the world is. But it's also a world for which I'm responsible. For there's no point poking the finger at others. I'm part of the flock. I've turned away to God. I've turned to my own way. I am the captain of my soul, the, the, the master of my fate. One day God is going to hold me account. He's going to hold me to account. One day I'm going to come face to face with him and he will hold me responsible, not only for what I've done, but how I've hurt other people in the doing of it. Well, we're going to find out more about that next week. You see, next week David's going to be preaching to us on why does it hurt when somebody dies? Because that talks about God and meeting God and the judgment that's coming. That's God's reaction to our rejection of him and our self-centered. But that's that's David next week. Don't miss it. It's very important to hear that. But this is a pretty depressing sermon, isn't it? You know, Philip, nice to meet you, but are you always so nasty? You know, I mean, it's just been a bad news week, hasn't it? And if you think it's a bad news week, Dave's coming next week. That's worse. So, you know, this is, you think, gee, I come to church and it's so 
down putting. I thought I'd be uplifted, but I've been down put. Well, friends, come the weeks after. Keep coming, keep coming, because there is something good coming. This is a six-week six series. And yeah, we've got we to face the truth if we're going to solve the problems. This is the truth bit. Got to face it. Don't pretend it's not there. Otherwise the solution won't mean anything to you. But is there no hope, Philip? Is there? Is the brokenness of my little world just... My son had a lovely cup when he was a little boy. I think it was a uh, one of those bunnikin cups, I can't remember now exactly, but he broke it, really smashed it into many pieces. But we had a great friend, Uncle John Chapman, and Uncle John used to be a manual arts teacher, and he loved fixing things, especially for little boys who were crying. So he took it away, and he put it together again like a jigsaw puzzle. It had so many pieces. And then he put glue between all the little pieces. So when he brought it back, it was a cup that was now working again, but it was just full of cracks and glue all over the cup. It was twice the size it used to be, I think, because the amount of glue that had to be taken to hold this little cup up together. And he put a little card on it for my son and he taught him a very important lesson. He said, here is the cup. Sorry it's like it is, but only God can make something better than you. It's very true, isn't it? Okay, my heart's broken. Yours is ours is. Only God can make it better than you. That's why this series is so important because you're going to hear how God makes it better than you. Really is important. Keep coming for the six weeks of this series. We had one, we're now in two. Keep coming because you'll hear how God makes it better than you. Yes, your broken heart can be made better than you. But for those of you who know what I'm saying is true and don't want to wait to hear what God's going to say to us in two weeks, three weeks, four times, four. Those who want to turn back from self to turn to God now, I've printed on the sheet for you a little prayer. I'm going to finish the sermon with that little prayer, but I want you to take it home so that you might think about it further later in the day or next week or in the next coming weeks. There it is. This is the kind of prayer you pray to turn back to God. It's got three paragraphs to it. The first one is what I've been talking about today. About, I know I'm not worthy to be accepted by you. I don't deserve your, I am guilty. I need forgiveness. That's what we've been talking about today. That's the truth. If you can't see that truth, you'll never turn back to God. You'll just live the lie. Second paragraph is the thank you. Thank you to God for what he's doing, which we're going to hear about in the coming weeks. Thank you for sending your son to die for me that I may be forgiven. Thank you that he rose from the dead to give me new life. And the third paragraph, well, that's the prayer of the prayer. That's where you actually ask God for something. Please forgive me. I need forgiveness. Jesus has died that I may be forgiven. Please forgive me. And more than that, please change me. Change me that I now may live with Jesus as my ruler, that I may turn back to God and follow Jesus. That's the prayer. I'm going to pray it out loud now. And if you want to pray it along because you know it's true, you pray it in the quietness of your own mind to God, will you? Dear God, I know that I'm not worthy to be accepted by you. 
I don't deserve your gift of eternal life. I am guilty of rebelling against you and ignoring you. I need forgiveness. Thank you for sending your son to die for me that I may be forgiven. Thank you that he rose from the dead to give me new life. Please forgive me and change me that I may live with Jesus as my ruler. Amen. Friends, if that is your prayer, you will be forgiven. How do I know you'll be forgiven? Because Jesus died so that you'd be forgiven. And you will be changed. How do I know you'll be changed? Because Jesus isn't dead. He rose from the dead, is alive and rules the world, pouring his spirit into his people to change them. And if that's your prayer, then talk to Adam or to David or to, uh, to Joe and just say, I prayed that prayer, can you help me? And I'm sure they'd love to spend some time talking to you about it.